This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven. Robbery homicides take you. Give me all you got! Listen. Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's LA crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and joining me on the line from the United States of America, a dear friend of the show. Maybe, maybe not say that. Just say from oh. an undisclosed <laughs> From an undisclosed loca- location. <laughs> from an undisclosed we, we, don't, like- we, don't, we, don't, we don't need to like, call out the US right now. They, no. We're, no. No. So, on the line from an undisclosed location somewhere in the world, accessed via the intellectual dark web, is Mr. Joe Lynch, the director of Mayhem, the director of Everly, director of Knights of Badassdom, and the co-host of the amazing Movie Crypt podcast, and dear friend of One Heat Minute, so much so that in, our, in an upcoming episode, you're going to hear Joe talking to me from a live Skype call at 2 a.m. in the morning after a screening of Bullet. Joe Lynch, welcome back. To one Hello, <laughs> I'm back like Wingro in the third act. <laughs> yes, he's come back. He's back. Well, uh, almost. Uh, but thank you so much, Blake. And that was such a blast, especially like, you know, when you had contacted me, uh, you know, it was kind of like, hey, maybe if you're willing to, you know, be up late. And, and at that point, like I had already kind of had my heart set on going to see Bullet at the New Art, which is in a weird sort of way kind of like homework for this new project that we can't discuss at the moment, but it's, you know, that might give you a little hint. Uh, but I was like, I want to go see Bullet. And then I was like, I'm going to get out at two. I'm going to be up already. Fuck it. Why not? Like, of course, why, who wouldn't want to spend time talking about heat at two in the morning <laughs> than with you guys? You know, like, believe me, that's the, call me at four and I'll wake up and be like, Oh, I got a minute. I, I could totally talk about Vincent Hanna right now. You know? uh, I'll look uh, at it. It's an honor. The, you dubbed them the drunken maniacs, Luke Buckmaster, Garth Franklin, Stu Coot, and they thoroughly enjoyed being accosted by you in, in semi person. So that was a, that was a huge thrill. And it was, uh, you know, the Sydney film festival, I think is much better for a 2am Skype call from you. So thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. I, it was, Knowing that that it was part of the Sydney Film Festival that Mayhem played at last year, it felt like ah, I gotta you know I gotta gotta show a little love because it was such a great festival and, and you guys took good care of the movie or at least the festival did and uh, you know hey again it's two a.m. who doesn't want to talk about heat in in Los Angeles too so you even got like a little bit of that like Michael Mann backdrop in the background because we were doing video Skype you know, it was like it was perfect you know what's funny is the this is how far the camera technology has become. I could see the crisp skyline through that, what would you would normally consider the like a cruddy Skype call late at night, the beautiful like hues of the background coming through, probably stronger than you could see in early collateral, you know, like it's you know, crazy. It's like crazy. actually like to be, to be totally fair. I uh, consulted with Dante Spinati before, <laughs> had him come over, take a look. Give me a couple aperture ideas, but he was like, "Oh, this is how you get those those Michael Mann skies," and that's you know the rest is history. Oh my God, this this is Dante Spinotti needs to be consulted on many more Skype calls in the future for all kinds of podcasts and all kinds of anything. Um, I love it. Um, the minute that we've got this, see, Joe is definitely coming back um, for a heist minute. He's been desperate to talk about it since our first conversation. This- I will on set between action and cut and i will go guys i'm sorry i have we, we got to take five 
or maybe 60. Uh, <laughs> I have a very important phone call to make. Uh, and, and what's funny is that the people that I'm working with would totally get it. Yeah. They'd be like, oh, yeah. uh, oh, you're going to talk about the high scene from Heat? Yeah, go, go, go. You need two hours? You're, go for it. You're doing, totally impo- you're doing important work, Joe. This is a good. This is a good decision. <laughs> I'm not sure how the finances would feel, but so I really was desperate to, though to talk to Joe because he does do a cameo in um, you know the 90th minute, and we um, are now at the 73rd minute. And this minute is, it's like the first interaction between De Niro and Pacino that is kind of very subtle. Um, this minute is in the middle of uh, the diamond exchange heist that goes wrong due to someone, unfortunately, as we're about to see, sitting down and, and, and alerting them to one another. It was just one of those... Oh, you mean uh, who? Officer Hydration? Officer Hydration, as you call it. One of, one of these amazing moments that, much like our last minute, has the characters staring out of the fourth wall, staring right into the audience and us examining them. And it is you with a horror movie pedigree, it is the most like horror movie tropey, amazing scene on reflection and revisitation. So many times the score arcs up and it's so high pitch. It's just wonderful. So what Joe and I are going to quickly do is refresh ourselves on this, the 73rd minute of Michael Mann's 1995 masterpiece heat. And then we're going to come back and talk about officer hydration, um, looking at people with uh, infrared cameras and uh, breaking the fourth wall with Mr. Pacino and uh, Mr. De Niro. So let's have a look. Right there. We, walk now. Come on. There it is. Uh, okay. You know what? What's crazy about this is when you had told me roughly when we were going to be doing, you know, like what minute we were going to do. I, I kind of, sadly, because I've seen the movie 200 times, like I, I kind of knew roughly where we were. We we're going to be at the, you know, the, the kind of uh, the uh, the botched heist, which ends up, if anything, kind of being more of uh, another Macaulay kind of tick to kind of we. It, it always seems like Macaulay is actually one step ahead of Hannah, and that while this was a botch, it almost felt like he was waiting. To see if the if 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 Hannah was going to show his show his face, so to speak. You yeah, know? I don't I don't know what it is. Like, there's something about it that with that scene that feels more orchestrated on Macaulay's side than Hannah's. Like, with 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 Vincent, it's like obviously he's you know you're in your atypical stakeout mode. Everyone you know in the beginning of the of the scene is they look like they've been up for you know 16 hours. They're all tired. Then, you know, you introduce and the way Michael Mann introduces Officer Hydration, I think, you know, which is kind of bleeding into the back minute a little bit. But the way that he kind of sets up 
that guy, which we've never seen him before, no. and they make him instantly, you know, uh, iconic in a way with those glasses and his very nervous demeanor in front of all these very cool cats. And when you have this guy that's kind of the, the, the new cop, so to speak, even if it's just for this one scene, we don't know how involved he's going to be after this. No. But the way that Dan sets him up, he is the perfect scapegoat for us to allow the cops to fuck up without us hating any of those guys. Yes. No, you know I mean? no one in the central crew makes the mess no up. No fucks up. Like, no. man is very specific in making sure that, like, Wes Studi and Ted Levine and, you know, not Billy Zapka in the background, <laughs> all the other guys that are in Hannah's crew are as tip-top as possible so that we never we never see a weak link so that by the time we get to the heist, we're, we're just as amped up knowing that there's not, like, the loose cannon involved and which would be fucking officer hydration, if anything else. Um, but even just the way that he asks the questions and the way that Hannah responds to him, he's like, just turn your radio off. And the way that man has the guy deliberately take that drink of water, almost like he's saying, like, watch out for this dude. He can't be trusted. <laughs> and then the camera. And then, then we kind of get into our minute. And we tilt down to to Hannah. And what's really interesting about this scene for me is that it it both plays as perfect man you know like a exhibit you know exhibit x of how michael mann presents scenes like this because you could strip this scene out of heat and cut it into thief yes and it would actually cut very well play play beautifully into thief definitely it's 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 playing off of his strengths of showing like immaculate detail in a way that feels completely grounded and you know the the sound design going oscillating back and forth from you know, very tense, very still, with a little bit of synth orchestration. Like Gonthal's just kind of slowly turning the screws on the silent stuff. But then it cuts to those extreme sound effect moments when the drill is going. And by going back and forth, you're already putting the audience on edge. Everybody feels like they're in the truck. And and that with, dr- and, and that drill through glass. And and, and I, I feel like it's a choice. It sounds like a dental drill. Like it sounds no, like someone's drilling, and it it puts your whole yeah. It puts your whole body on edge. You're like, ugh, I don't like that sound. And what's so great is, as much as this is uh, two opponents wrestling, it's a battle versely with the cops and and negligence, like an officer hydration completely messing that up. And that's his name from now on. It needs to be changed in the credits as far as I I'm concerned. I looked him up and I could not figure out which actor he was because, you know, he, he does make quite an impression. I've got, but... a, I've got a great tidbit about who that who that guy is. Oh, you do? Oh, good. And, and so, so we'll go to that next bit. But what I love is how many times have you, even in your house at night, heard a noise and open your eyes in your bed or wherever you are and just stared into it. And what I love so much and why I think you, what you alluded to before with the Macaulay thing is Macaulay's got the metal that even though there's drills in the background, there's a variety, there's a million reasons why a noise like that could happen. But the fact that it happened in the middle of his heist, he was willing to lose whatever preparation, whatever money, whatever stake out in just a heartbeat. Yep. He takes it, he reflects, it's literally seconds. It happens in the minute, and then he goes, no. And he, he kills it. Like, there's something, well, that, to it trust your lack of, to trust your unease so much, that's what makes him even more admirable in this scene. This scene is proof positive that Neil Macaulay walks the walk and talks the talk. Yeah, that's Be- it. Or, or vice versa. Like, we've been hearing about how when the heat's around the corner, you got to get out of there in 30 seconds flat. Well, guess what? 
they get out of there in 30, 30 seconds, seconds flat. flat. It's like it's if we're going to go down to like the minute by minute, you know, uh, you know, mathematics of it all, <laughs> he shows that they will drop everything, even if it's down to like, you know, evidence or whatever, yeah. they will drop everything to split. And that kind of um, discipline sounds really cool in movies, but we actually get to see it in action. And to go back to the whole horror thing, like uh, having just spent the last three nights completely awake with all the lights on because I saw fucking Hereditary. Uh, <laughs> like, believe me, I know the you know the the effects of the most subtle sound in a space that can make you completely terrified or completely aware of something. And and. And, and man also, is and, and man is with his horror movie tropes right there too. Yeah, and the sound of that's wrong. Like there's a sound that that's wrong. That's not a normal sound that I hear in you know the, you know if you live in a wooden house or the creaks of the house or you normal if you live in well, a building yeah, and, and it's it's not a, it, it's not normal. So bang your Macaulay, eyes are open. Yeah, Macaulay knows all the mechanics likely behind all the gear that they're using. He also has a, you know, obviously he's that professional that he probably has a very good acumen for space in terms of, you know, sound. So when you think about where he is proximity wise, you know, everything that would be in his control would be behind him sound wise. Anything that is beyond his control is going to be right in front of his face. Yeah. So when he turns and, you know, he's giving the audience the idea, like in, in a way man is using Neil Macaulay's head turn to give us that sense of geography because before that, uh, other than having, and this is like a, a filmmaking trick in a way, sometimes when you use actors looking a certain way, a certain direction, that's kind of how the director or the filmmakers are giving you the idea geographically where they are in where, space. Where are, they, where, where are they in the scene in comparison to other characters? Exactly, yeah. so if you think about the proximity or this, the geography of where Neil is, in that alleyway, standing outside the diamond exchange, to where Vincent is across the street in all those various trucks, you know, we when we see Neil and we see his gang, we're seeing them looking right to left. So they are technically they're on the right side looking that way. So it's a very subtle trick. If you watch very closely, he never cuts to the other side. No. You know, like that that in the film language, in the mathematics of that moment, he's establishing that Neil's on the right and Vince oh no, sorry, Neil's on the left and Vincent's on the right. Yes. You know, so it, it's perfect opposition. Um, one other thing that I want to mention, uh, there, there's many things that we can mention, obviously. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, correct me if I'm wrong here, but is this the only time that we have the fourth wall being broken? I'm pretty sure this is the only moment. Yeah, so we get very close in the, the original minute that we had a chat um, when Neil looks out to f see where Wango disappears and it kind of, it is just so fractionally, right, yeah. fractionally you can, you offset. Can, yeah. Yeah. You, you can basically tell that there is the slightest off look on there. Yes. And the same thing with Pacino uh, kind of in the high scene barrels down and they get the double cut and he's yes. looking right off camera, but it's close here because you know, the, the first hour of the movie has been building up these two guys for so long and you know a man's not an idiot he knows in the marketing materials it's like this is the first time that you've seen Pacino and De Niro since Godfather 2 <laughs> you know you've been waiting for this moment and it's almost a fake out in a way yes and this is like one of the few times that I've ever seen Michael Mann employ a technique that is better better not I shouldn't say used but more recognizable to another filmmaker and that filmmaker is Jonathan Demme yes because back like like from 86 until 
maybe the Manchurian Candidate, that was just a Jonathan Demme thing where he would have characters looking directly down the barrel in fourth wall. But the, the way that he would have the conversation, it wouldn't be that he's breaking the fourth wall like Ferris Bueller does. No. He's using it as we are the other person on the other side of the conversation. So by doing that, it makes things more intimate and you, you begin to kind of put yourself into the position of each of these characters. And it's a very smart technique that he used to a fucking T in Silence of the Lamb. Yeah, and, so, and Demi's the guy and, who, from his experience shooting musical acts, used to use it to get to get the performer into the audience yeah, watching it's, them. It's like, that, a music it, video trope. Music you know, video a music trope. video trope that he used expertly and weaved it into his own language in film. Yes. And that that was a moment I, I specifically remember seeing the movie that that opening night and going, that's a silence of the lamb shot. Yes. You know? But it's also in a very subliminal way, it's man both teasing us and throwing us a bone by finally having that first real interaction between the two because you know whether or not it's officer hydration it's still a sound that was representative of hannah and by having that moment where you have you know neil look and then vincent look and then it goes to night vision and by doing that we're we've now set up that first moment that we always need in a western where your protagonist and your antagonist has a showdown yes. you know it's it is it's you know in a weird sort of way it's a postmodern showdown moment because you're right they are not seeing each other at all but we do have that over the shoulder shot you know like a moment later where it's you you can tell like it is Hannah is looking directly at Neil even though he's on a, a, a TV screen in night vision but they are having a moment they have finally acknowledged each other and having known that both Neil and Vincent are kind of aware of each other at this point or they are aware of each other but they've never really been able to connect this is that first connection and it's fucking terrifying yes. it's it, you're right it is a it is a horror movie moment because it's that it's that awkward moment that we all pray never happens where you are looking at the face of your demise yes you know and and when you have that moment it is so vulnerable and and of course it's also played to the max in terms of tension because it's back and forth and back and forth. And you're like, Oh God, shit. Like who's going to make the next noise. And then Neil strikes and goes into survival mode. You know what I love though? Just before Neil does strike, there's such a man, there's a very man thing. So you've got the, um, uh, the infrared camera on his mm -hmm. face. But the cool thing is cause it's a Michael Mann movie, the infrared is blue. So yeah. he's so cool and calm and collected. There's no spikes of like this extreme red. He's still very cool and he's there. Mm -hmm. And as soon as he makes the call, it's like, oh, that was inevitable. Bang, bang. It goes up. It's like that, like, you know, Elliot Goldenville, as you said, he turns the screw all the way up to it. It's almost like a dog whistle, that sound. Like, yeah. like ringing noise that goes out. And then bang, Neil makes the decision and he just walks away. He's just like, no, and it, we're done. Another thing, another thing that makes it feel like a horror movie, especially with that infrared camera, is that He's presenting to Hannah and his guys. This is really the first time that they're seeing Neil McCauley, right? Yes. The first, the, no, yeah, so they've, they've looked at him once, but they didn't even know who he was at yeah, that stage. Like when they, they were when they were up at the at the dinner, right? Where yes, they were like, the that other guy. They're the other guy. We're not on him yet. So this is that now How that they actually – they refer to him though? Don't they refer to him kind of as a ghost? Yeah, they're like, who's the loner? And we're exactly. not on him. Who's the loner? We're not on him yet. We're not on him. So, so the first time that these dudes see this infamous, uh, you know, like specter of sorts, 
and he is presented like a ghost. Yeah, he's hiding like, in the in the shadows. He cannot be seen to the naked eye. He exactly, has to be seen in infrared. and, and, and the, even the way that he looks, he's ghoulish in that that infrared. And I think that was smart to not go with the like predator look or whatever, because yeah. just the multicolors somehow, in a lot of ways, they add warmth. You're right. Like yeah. this is this guy is flesh and blood, whereas that cool black to white contrast or that cool blue black to white contrast just makes him seem like he is a phantom. Yes. And it was such a smart way of allowing us to see what Neil McCauley is to these guys and further creates a mystique with him, especially since, you know, he gets away. He had <laughs> every, like Hannah could have pulled the, pulled the trigger, so to speak. Yes. And, and yet they wouldn't have been able to get him on any cognitive charges at the point, or they would have known that they would have gotten him on minor charges and then he would, they would have gotten out of it. So yes. he was smart in saying, you know what, hold, it's not worth it. Don't, you know, don't tell Jackson to engage. But at the same time, it's, you know, it's this near miss that, you know, obviously when you see, you know, when you continue forth and see, see the attitude that they give to Officer Hydration, who I will say probably didn't last another day on the force. Officer or Hydration. Got, Officer Hydration. Got, I got stuck with traffic duty like, uh, like um, Riggs and Murtaugh in uh, Lethal Weapon 3. Officer Hydration is Charlie slash Chuck Adamson, the original police officer who arrested Neil McCauley in Chicago. The man whose story that we are watching right now. Wait, (laughs) that's a real dude. That is Charlie. That is Chuck Adamson. That is the guy who, who told Michael Mann the story of meeting the original Neil McCauley in a cafe scene, getting his cameo in this movie as the guy who ruins Vincent Hanna catching Neil McCauley. Isn't How that just I a beautiful little know. bit of osmosis? That's, what's amazing about that, though, is that when you – because, you know, I, I've seen enough Q&As and I've been to the one at uh, in Westwood that we spoke about before. And I feel like I already have such a wealth of knowledge on the movie. And, you should have and, seen and, Joe's and, face. And, if this was only a video podcast for Joe's shock and awe. I, I'm shocked. <laughs> well, A, because – I know that story, but I don't remember man saying, oh, and by the way, he's the, you know, he's the asshole cop with the geeky glasses in the (laughs) truck in that one scene. That would be like the perfect coda to that story that he told. He didn't tell it. So there's A and B, you know, aside from the glasses, which I would have loved if that was either a choice or that was his real glasses, because it was like, again, a perfect way of creating weakness in the character is these big, geeky, Gucci fucking glasses (laughs) that have absolutely no right to be on the police force. But his demeanor is so awkward and it's not even like an awkward bad acting thing. Like it's a deliberate choice that man made to make this guy seem meek and awkward and out of place. Yes. And yet if you're telling me that that's the, that's the dude, that's the dude, then that, that dude is fucking good. He's a good actor. <laughs> he's a, and he's a great actor. And also incredibly vulnerable. And oh my God, that's fucking nuts. And what I love about that is that he's so hulking. Like he feels out of place. He feels too big. He feels too big for that space. When I see him and yeah. he is making, when you see him pacing, his, like he pacing, can't, he, he can't stay still. Yeah. Everyone else is chill. And this guy, which if you think about it, it's, it's like, they've been in type. there. He's the cool, like Charlie Adamson, the real guy must have been one of the coolest, most yeah. swaggery detectives of all time to walk up to a crook who he knew he was going to catch 
and ask him to go for a cup of coffee. So the fact that he could get in there and create this nice little bit of business where he's so awkward, he's pacing, he makes us freak out, bite our nails and go, oh my God, just don't move for God's sake. Please stop moving. Stop, stop moving. drinking that fucking water. <laughs> Charlie Adamson. I loved it. That is the... And this, Blake, <laughs> is why I love this fucking podcast. Because as much as I always go walk around going like, I am the authority on heat. I don't actually do that, but but I've, I've thrown yeah, my weight around more often than not at parties. It's okay. Uh, I, here it is. I think I know everything about this fucking movie, and that that's like honestly, that is one of the best trivia stories about the movie that I've ever heard. And I and I'm honestly, I'm a little ashamed <laughs> and a, a little jealous that I didn't have that bon mot to share. Now, like, now, and look, Joe, now you do. And we have plenty of weeks before this episode actually posts. So guys, when you hear this, and if you've heard Joe and you're his friend recently talking about this and dropping this this line, that's who it was. But that's, you know, that's that's what, in all of my research, and it's popped up and it was a throwaway line that, you know, Charlie Adamson's in the movie. That's the that's that's what I've heard. Now, if, unless unless it was someone being facetious in my research who's done it, but that is, that's the bit, and that's why he's not acknowledged really is a cast member because he's just in there for that one scene that's why i couldn't find him because i was looking you know up, yeah, yeah. i was like all right i'm gonna be sick of calling this guy officer hydration very quickly <laughs> uh, so, so i might as well try to find who this is maybe he's been in a couple things and I, and I kept saying like usually i'm good with like recognizing character actors and going like oh that guy was in a uh, 52 pickup or he was in prince of the city or she was you know in serpico yeah. But here I was like, I cannot fucking place this dude. And Mann is so, I mean, that's another testament to Michael Mann, who, you know, the often, you know, the authenticity master, because, yes. you know, by, by putting real cops into those situations, you're, you're only adding a, a like gravitas to it. But this is like the fact that he cast him against type and brought him in to play uh, you know a more vulnerable character and basically a fucking foil and you know and comic relief and and he I, does and he does it he does it all the time like you look at we talked about it just before in thief all the cops are chicago crooks yeah. all all, yep. all all the crooks are chicago cops like dennis farina famously is like a lackey in thief there's an amazing guy who was one of the consultants in miami vice um, who was an under deep undercover cop who was one of the technical advisors who actually plays one of the lackeys of the Aryan Brotherhood in there. So when you watch all of the Miami Vice documentaries, there's this one guy yeah. at the beginning who's like talking about a drug sale and that guy in all the documentaries and all of the commentaries and stuff is he's like a legit deep undercover officer and he, he gets to play a little like a little bit role as a, as a crook selling drugs to someone who they're setting up so you know it's just one of those little those little techniques that just it just works so perfectly and you you know what are you seeing all the time if you're a crook or if you're a cop you're seeing the opposite team and how they play so they yeah. get to embody that there's also like a there's a a big thing that a lot of directors and filmmakers do where they like to have technical advisors on the set, especially for stuff that with like cops and military and stuff. You want to make sure that you get your shit right. Yes. And it's I'm sitting here going, man, you fucking genius. <laughs> well, uh, for for uh, among other things, but if you think about it, it's like why wouldn't you want to surround yourself with people who've been in the shit or on the scene and have like walked the beat so that. You don't even have to have a technical advisor on set. You could be in between takes and go up to the guy that's in in the movie and be like, "So, uh, how did this go? Or does this feel right?" You know, it's like the guy's already getting paid to be an actor. It's like, why wouldn't you want to like shoot the shit? Because when you're making a movie, especially one where you have like such an expert DP and you know it's a lot of moving pieces for a big budget film, 
there's a lot of time in between setups. And, and I've heard before, like Michael Mann is very meticulous about this. So, you know, sometimes you, you have very long days and sometimes you have a lot of time between setups. So why not have guys that are only going to add authenticity and flavor to your, to your film instead of talking about to act like fucking facetious and egotistical actors who all they want to talk about is their next project or, Oh, <laughs> this, this person's an asshole. And Oh, I can only go to the commissary to eat my lunch. Shit like that. Where it's like, yeah, that's not really doing anything to add to the screen. But, but now imagine that reframed that Vincent Hanna is sitting with Charlie Adamson. Like it's one of the coolest scenes in all of the Vincent Hanna performance. Imagine that he's sitting there and the guy who did it, is behind him. No wonder Pacino is so ice. Like he's as cool as anything in this. In this entire scene, yeah. it's like, what are you doing? Relax, sit down. Like, and he doesn't. But he, he tells himself to go fuck himself in a way. <laughs> yeah, he's like, what are you doing? Relax, stop. But if you if you think about that dynamic where you have the ghost of of Vincent Hanna right in front of him <laughs> on a screen, and then. Oh, no, I'm sorry, of Neil McCauley right in front of him. Then you have Vincent Hanna, and then almost kind of like the spirit of Vincent Hanna. The spirit Hanna of the entire him. story is right there. <laughs> Isn't That's it? why this is so much more juicy of a minute than people would probably let on. Yes. You know, like, yes, it's very subtle. Yes, it's, you know, textbook man, it, you know, everything from the sound design to even just the economical way that he's telling the story through very minimalist shots, you know, everything from, you know, the very uh, almost objective voyeuristic shot of Val when he's, um, you know, uh, drilling, you know, you have that from a far shot, but then juxtaposed with the, you know, the, the extreme close up with the sound effects that makes you compliment the cutout to very still, very moderated shots that have nothing flashy in it. Nothing, you know, there's no big gags. It's just actors. It's like those are the biggest special effects in the moment. And it's so economical and so clinical that it feels procedural in a way. And that's what's perfectly complementing the scene. And, and, it's, and, and a, it's, it's a scene that's designed like five minutes in advance because you come in in that beautiful helicopter shot. That's the only way, the yeah. beautiful helicopter shot that eliminates the silence. So it's far enough away. They're using a telephoto to get nice and close, so, but the ground oh. isn't being impacted by the, the chopper. And it's just almost that crawl, that nothing to sound. We go from really high up, really low, granular, getting there. And, and then the sound does the same thing. It just ebbs and flows up into this crescendo in this moment, and then it's a walk away, 30 seconds it's, gone. It's a, it's a perfect exercise for any filmmaker to watch to deal with subtle tension. Yes. Because there is no moves in. You no. know, there, the, man is, if, if man is going to quote-unquote punch in, he's going to go from a, a, like a wider shot to a closer shot. He's not going to let the camera dictate you know, uh, point of view or even anticipation. Cause a lot of times that's when, when filmmakers use that kind of Spielberg dolly in, or just a, a typical, like, you know, up to someone's <laughs> face when they're about to say something really cool or really fucked up. It's like, you're, you're in a way you're holding the audience's hand a little bit. Man is like, nah, fuck that. You know what? Turn the radio off and shut the fuck up and listen. <laughs> he's, I mean, he, that's exactly, he's yes. putting into the position of what it's like to be in a stakeout and in a stakeout, Every movement can let you, you know, can can lead you on. Every uh, every sound can be a tell, and that kind of quiet and silence can be terrifying, you know, and it can, it can be, you know, nerve wracking. And by just by keeping things simple, man makes that scene when 
you know, when you have the, the huge histronics of the heist scene and all the other big set pieces, you look at the scene itself and yeah, it, it's a more subtle scene and if anything it's, you know, it's very slight, but it speaks volumes and before you even know it, not only do you find out that the fucking real guy is behind <laughs> Al Pacino, which is like such a great fucking trivia moment, but you do have the first true encounter between Neil and Vincent and that's done through cinema. You know, in where where they don't actually get to look at each other eye to eye until the car before the cafe scene. In a way, you still this this is a pivotal moment in their relationship. I'm going to stop right there, ladies and gentlemen, and thank Joe Lynch for once again coming back in this pivotal moment of the relationship. I blew his mind with a piece of trivia. Um, I'm still of Charlie shocked. I, I can't wait. I'm actually, I'm, I'm going to call my wife like right after this. He's been three hours ahead of New York to be like, do you remember that fucking geeky dude with the water bottle and heat? Like th- this is one of those stories that like anybody who's listening to this, you know, go back and watch it. But this is one that you're going to get laid telling friends at parties because they think you're so fucking cool and smart that you knew that <laughs> over anybody else. So, you know, get laid, get laid with trivia thanks to one heat minute. Oh, look, um, and, and that that should – I'm going to actually cut that into the opening credits of the show. No, look, um, thank you so much, Joe. Um, Joe is off on an amazing project. We will talk to him more about it once it's all complete, and I can't wait for you guys to hear about it. I've been lucky enough to hear about it, but it's all on the off the record on the DL. Um, and, ver- and very hush-hush. Hush. Um, I know, uh, wrong movie, but, but in spirit. Look, the right, right cinematographer. But um, <laughs> thank you so much again, mate, for being – a an amazing guest and for chewing over this minute with me. Um, and, uh, again, guys, you can follow Joe at Joe Lynch, um, on the Twitters. You can listen to him on the movie crypt. Um, and, uh, and not sure about oh, it's his... actually, it's actually at, at the Joe Lynch, at Sorry, the Joe Lynch, the... sorry, at the Joe Lynch, the movie crypt podcast. These guys have, uh, recorded weeks ahead. Um, there's a really ripping episode with, is who it's Simon Barrett is Simon Barrett, the screenwriter, Simon Barrett, really love it. Really love oh, this man. most recent episode we, I listened and, to. That was a we, really we have one. some amazing ones. Uh, when does this air? Uh, this one will air in a, probably about five weeks. Oh, okay. So uh, we just dropped uh, maybe th- two two weeks ago. One of the biggest guests we've ever had, fucking Roger Corman. Oh my god. Oh my and, god. And he came to the office, and it was one of the most amazing times. I'm dying to hear it. I'm dying. So we have we have that we have well, we have a whole bunch of guests, but yeah, I can I can safely say that the uh, the Roger Corman episode is going to fucking blow your mind. That, so. that, is, that is like Michael Mann coming on this podcast, Roger Corman on the movie crypt. That We're is close. Like, that, that that's that's like the that's the one of those bucket list conversations. Guys, thank you so much for listening to One Heat Minute. As a, as I've said a million times, continue to follow Joe and Movie Crypt. He's a huge supporter of the show, and it's a great podcast in its own right. Joe and Adam are legends. Thank you, Garth Franklin, for our website design. Paul Davies for our music. Thank you, Joe, again for a two AM call to the Sydney Film Festival live. And to, my pleasure. Is, wait, is this, this where the music is starting? This to is swell? where the music is starting to swell. Bring up the music. <laughs> thank you.